You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Let's take our Bibles. We're going to make a marker there in Joshua chapter 9. That's where we're going to be for the evening. But uh, to kind of set the stage for that, I'd like you to go to the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. I see our teenagers are gone, so they probably would answer this question differently than Maybe we would. Um, How many liked studying history when you were in school? You liked it. How about that? Anybody else? A handful. Yeah. So um, history has some real value to it. I I always like to say when I'm trying to get a a framework on history... um, my, my mom's dad, my grandpa, was four years old when Abraham Lincoln got shot. That kind of compresses history a little bit and makes us realize that history is not really all that long ago. And so tonight as I uh, prepared the thoughts around Joshua chapter 9, um, as an introduction, just as uh, to give you a uh, a sense of the value of history, I want you to stop off here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 first. He writes the Corinthians and says to them, brethren, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now you understand this history was that he's uh, uh, relating to the Corinthians, was over 1,400 years before he wrote this. And he talks about the Jewish people who had, under the cloud, in the sea, baptized unto Moses in the cloud, and not baptized like we baptized, but uh, identified with and were underneath the cloud uh, and went through the sea and did all eat the same spiritual manna. 40 years of it, ate uh, the uh, spiritual meat, the manna, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they did drink of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And I like that because it doesn't say that rock was like Christ. And if you're an English buff, some of you are history buffs and some are English buffs, um, I teach my students that there's there's a reason why God uses metaphors as opposed to similes. Likes and as's give you like as. All we like sheep. And then he says uh, things like, uh, unless you eat my bread, uh, uh, drink my blood and eat my body. Uh, and uses metaphors, stronger language, because it's, it's a way to um, impress a stronger point. And that's what he makes here. The rock is not like Christ, but the rock was Christ. Uh, how that is, 
I don't know. All I know is that in the wilderness, when the, when the rock was struck, um, the water came out. It was Christ that uh, emanated that water from that rock. All right, continue the lesson. This is the history lesson. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness, the 40 years of wandering. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. There are two key words that I find in this text that are, are similar but different. Here is the word example. And when I look back, and you can read the rest of that little historical clip, uh, when I look back at the example that they gave, I say to myself, you know what, they're not really a good example. But go on down, if you will, in the same text. Verse 11. Now all these things, the things that were related in the previous verses, all these things happened unto them for ensamples. Similar word, but different. Uh, different in the sense that um, an example would be something that I don't want to emulate. An end sample is something I don't want to taste. Uh, going over to Bucyrus today, I had to go buy Grandpa's cheese barn. And I was real tempted to stop in and get a few handfuls of samples on the way over. Um, all that to say, there are some times in life that you come across people that you say to yourself, uh, you know what, I, I'd like to sample that lifestyle. That's a lot different than an example. Both words are significant. Both words have the same uh, warning in them. But, but there are other people you come in contact with and you say, I, I see something there. I'd like to sample that. And the psalmist said something like this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I need to sample some things. I need to sample some behaviors that are beneficial I certainly don't want to follow the example of those who are not. What is history and why is it given? It's certainly not there to satisfy our warped curiosity. Um, for example, the, the uh, um, depraved decision that David made when he went into the, the woman Bathsheba and then he uh, um, caused the death of uh, her husband and all of that, that depraved information uh, uh, incident, that was not there to satisfy our curiosity. It's there as an example, and it's there for our benefit that we don't want to replicate. Now go back to Joshua chapter 9. Here's the history that I want to, uh, that's the introduction, that's the the thought that gives us the value of history. Even in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul is alluding to historical events as examples and samples. We don't want to sample certain things, and this historical event gives some of those things we don't want to taste. Um, it leaves a sour taste in our mouth, the failure that we'll see related here in Joshua chapter 9. It also leaves a sweet taste in the sense that God's forbearance, that he puts up with us, even when we make the wrong decisions, uh, deals with us far less than what we deserve. He's merciful. 
He's kind. He's helpful. Uh, and yet he's firm and fair in all of his dealings with us. In this historical uh, snippet here in Joshua chapter 9, we find an 80-year-old plus, 81, 2, 3, 4, whatever the age he may be, in the 80s, of a man named, a history of a man named Joshua. Uh, in, in the reading of it, when we come down to the historical lesson that we want to uh, learn by example and learn as a sample from, we, we, have to, we have to come to the conclusion that here's a man at 80-some years old that should have known better. What's the old adage about no fool? Like an old fool? And oftentimes, the most foolish people are those with the grayest hair because they have, they have learned lessons and then they come to that age and stage of life that they make some pretty dire mistakes. I heard recently of a pastor who in his near 70s has made some grievous mistake. And I'm thinking to myself, how have you navigated all of that time frame, pastoring for all of those years in the ministry, and then made such a, such a uh, infantile, immature mistake? But it happens. What had happened in the life of Joshua 40 years before Joshua chapter 9? 40 years before, he and Caleb had come with 10 other spies back from the promised land and gave the information about the land that was flowing with milk and honey, that the grapes of Eskel and, and, and all of that. And Caleb and Joshua said, let's go, to, let's go to conquer the land. And the 10 others said, yeah, but there's some giants in the land. And they dissuaded the others, the Israelites, uh, to not go. And, Caleb, and Joshua and Caleb had observed that. And surely they had learned that one of the first things you do in regard to making an important decision is seek counsel of the Lord. It cost the Israelites dearly, 40 years of wandering. Uh, in the previous chapter, we'll not read it, but you know the account of uh, how, the, how the soldiers had gone up against the little city of Ai. Remember after Jericho had been conquered and uh, the little city, just the little city, the soldiers came back and said, ah, it's just a little place. You know, we've seen this great battle in Jericho and the walls fall down and uh, let's not send any more than just maybe a couple thousand, maybe 3,000. And Joshua says, okay, send the 3,000 and and off they went and they came back with 36 dead men and all of their families that had been impacted. And Joshua wept. Here's the reason. You'd have thought that we learned by observing what the Israelites had done 40 years ago. You would have thought that he would have learned by his mistake relative to AI. But here in Joshua chapter 9, he makes a terrible mistake. Look in verse number 3. And the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho, and eventually going back and uh, conquering Ai. 
And they did work wildly and went and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles and old and rent and bound up and old shoes and clotted them, clotted upon all, all their feet and uh, old garments clouded upon their uh, feet and old garments upon them and all, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy and they went to Joshua into the camp of Gilgal. This was kind of the center of battle after they'd crossed the Jordan River. Gilgal was where often the battles went out uh, from. And they said, we, are, we become from a far country. In reality, it was perhaps 10 to 15 miles away. We come from a far country. Now, therefore, make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, peradventure, maybe, uh, ye dwell among us. You know, they, at first there was this suspicion that maybe this is not a good thing for us to make a league with you. And how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? Who are ye? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, Because uh, of the because of the name of the Lord thy God, for we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. Now the wheels are turning in Joshua's head, this 80-year-old man, as he's beginning to lead the children of Israel into the next conquest after Jericho, after Ai, and on into the promised land. And these, uh, these people appealed to the pride of this man who was leading, and he said, we've heard all you've done, your fame. Verse 10, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, and Shihon, king of Hezbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore, our elders, we who are from this far country, understand something. Uh, Gibeon was not a small city like Ai. It was a major city-state. It was more like a, a, a small kingdom than it was a small a, a city. Uh, and just in case you wanted to uh, get a description to turn the page to chapter 10, um, it says about Gideon that it was a great city, verse 2, uh, as one of the royal cities, greater than Ai and mighty. You see, this was not a small city, but they were portraying themselves as being this faraway country, uh, inca incapacitated city, and throwing themselves at the mercy of Joshua and the leadership of Israel. Now, verse 11. Wherefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, and saying, take victuals. You know they came from West Virginia. <laughs> take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, the Israelites, and say unto them, uh, we are your servants. Take therefore, uh, therefore now, uh, make ye a, a league with us. This our bread we took uh, hot for our provision out of our uh, houses on the day that we came, uh, we came forth to go unto you. For now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine, which were filled with 
new or fresh grape juice. And behold, they were, were be rent now, and, and these are garments, and our shoes are uh, become like um, uh, become old by reason of the very long journey, all of 10 to 15 miles. And the men, the men of Israel, took of the vittles and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. I underscored that little phrase. The men, the men of Israel, led by Joshua, and verse 15 indicates Joshua was complicit in this. It wasn't like the men had made the decision without Joshua along. Joshua made peace with them, and they asked not counsel of the Lord. That phrase kind of rang in my mind, and I'm thinking, why would a person not ask counsel of the Lord? And yet, how many times in our little lifetimes have we come to some major or some minor decision of our life, and instead of seeking the counsel of the Lord, we've just kind of done it on our own? Uh, why would we do that? Why is counsel needed? Because our natural tendency is to hurry into things. Impulsive. Uh, why is the uh, candy bar rack right there at the cash register? You don't have to pray about it. Uh, why is the Dunkin' Donuts on the way to work? You don't have to pray about it. You just go in, get it, and go on about your way. You see, the natural tendency of humankind is to be impulsive, to be hurried. And in that hurriedness, we make uh, bad decisions. I remember years ago, I, uh, our car was coming to the end of its lifetime, 200 and some odd thousand miles on it. And we'd been in a church and a widow lady had had a car and she was thinking about selling and I kept... And I said, if you're going to sell it, you tell me, we'll buy it off you. And she just came hauled and uh, puttered around. And I just, man, I, I got to have that car. And I'd kept, you know, calling and seeing if it's time. And, and, you know, and I'd pray about it and say, God, we, this is the car. I like that. I've never had a Buick before. And, and you know, people who have, uh, you know, who are really somebody, they own a Buick, you know. <laughs> And I was adamant that I'd get that car and we bought the car and nothing could have been worse than that Buick. Um, I wouldn't own a Buick today if somebody paid me to own it. It left that much of a taste in my mouth. <laughs> but it was my fault. I can't say I said to the Lord if it's your will. You know, make it happen. I can't say that I was patient and surrendered in the matter. Why do we need counsel? Because of our natural tendency to be impulsive. Number two, because we have a natural tendency to be um, self-confident. You know, I've been around the block. I know a little bit. Uh, why do I have to keep asking the Lord for the simplest things in life 
when I'm, I'm not that dumb. Um, and what I've found out in my life is that, yeah, I really am that dumb. <laughs> I'm just not the smartest guy around. And I really do need to ask the Lord over and over and over for his counsel. And when I get self-confident, I find myself in difficulty. I think there's a third reason why our natural tendency leans to that direction of not asking counsel is because oftentimes we lack confidence in him. That's equally dangerous, trusting in ourselves. Why do we need counsel? Number one, because of our natural tendencies. Number two, because we're just not smart enough. I remember the historical account of Job in those 42 chapters that went back and forth and back and forth between those miserable comforters until God finally spoke up and he never answered a question just, uh, uh, that Job had posed. In fact, he pelted Job with 88 questions and at the end of the 88 questions, Job had this to say. He put his hand over his mouth and he said, I've said things I've spoken things that are too wonderful for me. I've said things I shouldn't have said. And what I've discovered oftentimes is when I don't seek counsel from the Lord, when I lean to my own understanding, I often find myself painted in that corner like Job, and I have to admit, I've said some things I shouldn't have said, done some things I shouldn't have done, I'm not smart enough. Why do I need counsel? Because I can't see the future. That's obvious. Uh, would you want to see the future? When I go back, when I go back uh, uh, to the time of Daniel and his parents, and when Daniel was born, and Jeremiah was preaching up a storm, and, and he was telling the children of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, that it won't be long. One of these days, you're going to be cap, uh, uh, captured, and your children are going to be taken off as captives. And they would tell that to Daniel as a little lad, and as he was growing up, uh, Daniel's parents didn't want to know when that would be. In their mind, just like we do for our children, we have great hopes that our children will grow up and have families and homes and, and uh, we can get, have our get-togethers and all the things that make family enjoyable. And, and yet, in Daniel's day, they kept hearing it. There's coming a day. Thank God they didn't know when that day was. Because when the day came, the 17-year-old Daniel kissed his mother goodbye, perhaps never seeing her again. I don't know. I don't know if his mom and dad were taken captives also, but he was in the palace with the others. I'm glad I don't know the future. I know enough of it to know that it's not going to be real pleasant at certain points in time. Jesus says, as it were, in the days of Noah, that wasn't very nice. And I'm glad I know just enough what I know. And I don't need to know anymore. So when it comes to asking for counsel, we need it because we can't see the future. We have to ask the one who can. Furthermore, we need counsel because we can't see into the minds of others. 
this is going to relate to the next few uh, aspects of this uh, seeking counsel. Uh, most of what we do in life relates to somebody else. Um, what I decide to do impacts my wife. What she decides to do impacts me. What we decide to do impacts our children and our grandchildren and uh, friends and, and the ripple effect goes all the way out. And so oftentimes we, we fail to get counsel and we fail to realize that by, by failing to get counsel, we um, impact the lives of, lives of others. We need counsel. I think of that when we're talking about, about the imminent danger of future that Jeremiah preached to the children of Judah about their kingdom. I think about the photographer I read about who was assigned to take aerial photographs for his newspaper and so he arrived at the uh, air, small airport and there was a little plane sitting with the motor running and a man behind the, is it a wheel? I guess. Uh, behind the wheel and the throttle and he jumped in and he said, I'm ready, let's go. And he had his little satchel with all of his things in it and off they went up into the air. And they began to fly around the city and the man said, I'd like you to, I'd like you to fly over the city and kind of do a dip because I'd like to take some pictures. And the man flying the plane said, why do you want to take pictures? He said, because I was assigned by the newspaper to take pictures. He said, I'm a student. I thought you were the instructor. I haven't learned to land. You understand that sometimes we make rash decisions because we haven't got counsel. We didn't ask the right questions. It had been a smart thing if that man had said, now, who are you? What's your name? But none of that transpired. We're in a hurry to get things done. And so we end up in the air flying this plane. And we don't know how to get down. Because we haven't asked the right questions. In lieu of that, we... Who would take a job? Who would get married? Who would have... Who would become a parent without getting good counsel? Hold your hand here for a moment. We'll come back. But look in Proverbs. We'll just toggle back and forth to Proverbs periodically. Look in Proverbs chapter 1. This is the first day of the month. And I always read the first chapter of Proverbs. Look in verse 5. The latter part of verse 5. A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Um, if, you, if you want wise counsel, it's just not going to be surgically implanted. You're going you're to seek counsel. Uh, that, that was the problem back here with these men. They asked not counsel the Lord. You can, you can read the rest of the historical account. It didn't end up well. They painted themselves into a corner. That which they were supposed to capture, these dishonest people well, had tricked them and instead, they ended up with servants instead of 
the free village or the city that they were supposed to have inhabited. The second question arises. Again, hold on to Proverbs. We'll come back here in a moment. The second question arises, and that is, where is counsel found? And I, it's pretty obvious. Um, we who are a little older, we might remember Dear Abby. Some people look there. That dates us. And maybe some a little less old would remember Oprah and Oz and some of the gurus of the television. And for these younger, whatever they are, they might even watch something as silly as The View or the internet and get your counsel. But notice in our text, again, hold Proverbs, they're coming back. Notice in our text in verse 15, uh, 14, the, the, I'm not sure if the word is condemnation. The declaration was that these men took of these tricky people's vittles. They took them, and I'm, the implication is here. They took these old vittles, put them aside, gave them something to eat, started thinking about this thing. Well, we feel bad for these folks, and it doesn't seem right. And they perhaps fed them and took care of them. And verse 15 says, made peace with them. But the one thing they didn't do is what verse 14 says in the latter part, did not ask counsel from the mouth of the Lord. Who do I want to hear from? It, it, it shakes me up when I read that phrase. How many things in these nearly 70 years have I done and I've literally not come to the source of wisdom. And I've not tuned my ear into God's mouth speaking to me. It's not like he's hiding from me. Uh, there are multiple verses like, Ask and ye shall receive, and seek and ye shall find, and knock and shall be opened unto you. The whole Bible is filled with those types of um, invitations. God's not stingy with his counsel. Um, inquire of him. Just ask him. Oftentimes, not only does he speak directly to us through his, through his word, but oftentimes he speaks directly to us through godly counsels, counselors. I'm not talking about people who are university educated, uh, have all the degrees and look like, um, years ago I remember envying, um, what's the guy that is in Cape Coral, Florida, died now. And whenever the broadcast was over the telecast and he had his big robe and he would preach and, and at the end of the telecast, it took the whole screen to get all the M MDs and DVDs and the, uh, uh, you know, whatever the, you know, masters of, uh, Kennedy, that's the guy's name. I knew if I thought long enough, James Kennedy. He had all kinds of degrees, but that's not what made him wise. I've discovered some of the wisest people I know are some of the 
plainest people I know. Um, I think over the years how God, in desperation, made me seek out some counsel. Sometimes it was for simple things. My old hillbilly preacher, you know, he, he knew how to... He knew how to give me counsel. Sometimes it hurt, you know. Uh, I'd go to him for financial, you know, I'm in my 20s trying to raise my family and things aren't going quite right. And, and one day he said to me, this is the kind of counsel I got. Brother Oni, you remember Brother Oni, Jerry? Brother Oni said, Junior, he said, I didn't take you on to raise. That means I'm not going to give you any more money. You just figure it out. Uh, sometimes that kind of counsel was good for me. Uh, it wasn't very flowery, but it was, it was beneficial. And then other times out of desperation, I'd, I well remember when our family kind of hit a hard spot and how desperation I had to seek counsel. And God led us to a dear godly preacher, a, a godly preacher who sat down with me and sat down with us and communicated with us some truths that were hard. Uh, he didn't talk to us like dear Abby. He talked to, to us like Dutch uncle. I mean, hard truths. Things that I needed to hear. And so when you seek out the counsel, don't, don't go looking for somebody that's going to make you feel good. Uh, look for somebody that's going to do good. Somebody that's going to Point you to what is good. Uh, look back in Proverbs again. I told you to hang on to it. Look in chapter 11. It, not, not everybody is qualified. Uh, in, in regard to financial uh, counsel, this dear preacher, he was, not the, he was not the source of counsel for our financial benefit. But he sure did a lot for us spiritually and, and for our family. And without that counsel, God only knows uh, where we would be as a family and um, mentally and spiritually and ministry and on the list goes. But, but sometimes there are other types of counsel. Look in uh, Proverbs 11 verse 14. Where no counsel is, the people fall. Where you're just kind of, you're uh, shooting from the hip and you're doing it on your own. But look at the latter part. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Here, this is, not, this is not to imply that we raise our hand. How many of y'all think I should do this? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about there needs to be a, a good counselor that will help you to know how to fix your car. And there needs to be a different counselor. Maybe the guy fixing your car doesn't know anything about finances. And that guy with finances needs to be a good counselor for you. And that dear preacher was my counselor for our family and for our ministry. And so in a multitude of counselors, knowing who is nobody's expert of anything. But who has some expert, expertise in something. Somebody said years ago, you know what an expert is? He said, an X is a has-been and a spurt is a drip of water under pressure. Um, nobody's an expert on everything. Just find somebody who knows something about what God's Word says about that particular area that you need counsel. 
You need a broad spectrum of counsel, not just a narrow. Don't, don't just find the one neighbor lady who's always, or the neighbor man, who's always, you know, talking to you and telling you the same thing, and they know everything about everything. You know, they probably don't know anything. You know, just find the godly counselors in the areas of expertise that can benefit you in those areas. And then utilize them. The third area, if you're uh, mindful of your bulletin, is how counsel is mined. Now, I'm not a computer geek. Few of you are. I won't point you out, but I suppose you know a little bit about computers. You've heard a little bit about mining Bitcoin. I don't know what it means. I just hear them talk about it. Somehow they go into the computer. Do you know, Josh, what it means to mine Bitcoins? I don't know. Do you own a Bitcoin? I don't know. I'm not going to ask you. Uh, all I know is that these people who are in this me mentality or this thought process, they've figured out how to circumvent the modern currencies by digging into their computers and creating some little gizmo that they can trade products for bitcoins. I don't know what it means. I'm going to tell you something. I've discovered something. Look in Proverbs chapter 23, 23. When it comes to the counsel of the Lord, I've discovered something about mining the truths of God. Um, if you were to go to the diamond fields of Africa, the diamonds aren't laying on the ground like gravel. Uh, the gold isn't laying on the ground like gravel. You need to dig the hole. You need to... Um, Tap the crevices. You need to mine it and get it out. That's what Proverbs 23, 23 is implying. It isn't to say that somehow God makes you buy it. The truth. But listen to it. Buy the truth. And sell it not. That's what's implied here. What do you value? Um... Finances or friends or family. What do you value higher than the truth of God? There's nothing more valuable than that. And if that be the case, spend whatever resource you have to get God's truth. Mentally. Um, Time-wise. Spiritually, um, academically, just buy the truth. And then, once you got it, don't sell it. Sell it not. Also, buy the truth. And, and, and also, wisdom, instruction, understanding, these are things that are they're too valuable to put a price tag on. You, you understand that, don't you? 
When Brother James said this in James 1, 5, when Brother James said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberally and abradeth not. He wasn't suggesting that you can kind of casually come to the Lord and say, ah, I need a little dose of wisdom. Would you just kind of give me a little bit today? <laughs> Doesn't work that way. There's a gravity to it. There's a seriousness to it. There's an intensity to it. Do I really want this wisdom? And when I get this wisdom, am I willing to apply it to my heart? Buy it. Don't sell it. Make it the most valuable resource that you possess. We'll not turn there, but in Acts 20, there's a conference of preachers. They had gathered. These were pastors and elders from the city of Ephesus who Paul had met in time past. And now he was traveling somewhat close to Ephesus and he interacts with the city of Ephesus and asks for the leaders to come and meet with him. And they did. And so they have this big conference and it ends with tears and, and kisses and a, a great affection. But in the midst of that conference, this is what Paul told them. He said, I've not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Every detail. That, if you, can, if you can get that out of somebody, the whole counsel, you have gotten something far more valuable than all the Bitcoin <laughs> stuff that you can get, financial advisors, whatever you call them. Uh, look in Proverbs 20, verse 5. This kind of goes along with this, this thought, just backing up a page or two from 23, 23. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. I've, I've wondered about that text a few times when I've really been in a low spot and I've needed some counsel and, and I've been interacting with somebody in regard to be it family or finances or uh, other areas. And, and I've wondered when I've been seeking the counsel, uh, am I digging deep enough? How transparent are they going to be with me? Am I giving them permission to be transparent and not be shocked when they give you the information you need? You see, because this kind of valuable counsel like the diamonds, doesn't lay on the surface. Isn't casually gotten. Dig for it. Mine for it. Uh, be persistent about it. If you have to bug that person, you've got to have coffee with me again. I want, to, I want to hear that one more time. Give it to me again. I know I'm dense, but I need to hear it one more time. Are you sure you're telling me everything I need to know? Don't worry about my feelings. Don't worry about what I'm thinking. Don't worry about all my preconceived ideas. I want the diamonds. 
I want the deep water. I want the pure gold. That's what I want. That counsel that goes beyond the surface is not this casual get old stuff. Number one, mine it with God's people. Number two, mine it in God's word. That's so obvious. We don't even have to spend a whole lot of time, a lot of time with that. Peter says it's like milk for the baby. It's, it's how you grow. Paul says it's like meat for, for, the, for the mature one. It's how you, it's how you keep growing. Mine it in God's word. This book is not just a history book, though it contains all kinds of history. It's a book of counsel. It'll help you to get beyond how smart you are. And, and like, like Job, you begin to see things that are too wonderful that you've tripped over. And that leads us to the last, and that is mine it in God's presence. When when poor, poor brother Elijah found himself in the dark hole of depression, we call it depression, it was discouragement. That's what it is. You know what discouragement is? It, it is the absence of courage. And why did Elijah have the absence of courage? Because one little woman soured his milk. And off he ran because of Jezebel. And there on that mountain, when God approached him, and he said, why are you here? Why aren't you back there doing what I've called you to do? And he said, but you don't understand. I'm the only one. And I've stood for you, and I'm all by myself. And, and he was hungry. And I submit to you angry, because God had let him down. And he's certainly lonely. He left his servant back in the weeds. He'd gone by himself. And he was tired. Do you know what my dad said about those four letters? Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. He said, never make a decision when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Halt! You know, third grade education, he wasn't too shabby. Yeah. Stop when you're in that depth of despond John Bunyan wrote about. And there on that mountain, God sent the wind and the thunder and the quake. And in none of those things was he present. But in the little still small voice. Do you know why sometimes we don't hear the voice of God? Got too many devices turned up. Still, small voices. Yet mine it in the depths of God's people. Mine it in the depths of God's word. Mine it in the quietness of the presence of God. Go back to our text. They lived with the repercussions of this 
for decades. The Gibeonites became their servants, but they were also became their uh, benefactor. Benef- uh, what do you call it when you have to take care of somebody? Adopted children, as it were. And every time the Gibeonites got in trouble, hey, come help us. And Israel became obligated to them because of not seeking the counsel of the Lord. Three dangers. Number one, not getting counsel from the Lord. Number two, getting counsel from the wrong places. That's just about as bad. You say, I'm going to get counsel. Well, where? And then number three, this probably is the worst danger. Getting counsel from the Lord and saying, ah, I'll pass on that. That's not really what I want to hear. Again, I remember at those stages, especially our family, as we went through some real crises. And the counsel wasn't very pleasant. And I'm thinking back of those decades ago. And I'm thinking about the Benny and I'm thinking to myself I could have easily said to myself ah this guy you know what that's nice and just go on about my way but there's something to be said about hearing good counsel from the right place and then responding to it you know what Jesus said about the truth making you free There's an implied thought in there. You should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And here's the implied thought. The truth will never make you free even if you know it. If you don't do it. You can know it academically. But not adhering to it, obeying it, makes it of no value to you. Wise counsel Dig deep. Find the multitude of counselors for the various things and then dig till you get those things that are rock bottom. God honoring truths. And then just don't don't sell it. Whatever it costs, buy it, but don't sell it. It's too valuable. Let's pray.